Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden buzz in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, drivers recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> G'day and welcome. This is Golf, and uh, thanks for all your messages regarding Bob Stanton. And sorry for being a bit of a tool and not putting it all in one whole podcast. Uh, Frank S. Uh, I know I could have, but listen, it's getting close to Christmas, and uh, we've got to spread things out. You've got to wait for things like the olden days, you know. Sort of uh, have have a bit now, and then wait for the next bit. So this is the next bit of Bob Stanton. Um, and as much as I think we all enjoyed the first bit, the second bit is, it's incredible. We go further into his career and also some of the big lessons that he learned in the game of golf and from the game of golf and about the game of golf. Um, terrific putting tips and just swing thoughts and just marveling at his time in the game. So here's Bob Stanton, part two. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and again, thanks for your uh, correspondence during the week to say, where the hell's the rest of it? Well, here it is. Bob Stanton, part two. You had that advice, you know, you've got your hands for holding the club, your feet for staying on the earth, and then you, um, the rest, the brains and not Don't to use. Don't think too much. Not, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your brains not for using, right? That's right. So, so when did people start to actually mess around with your swing? And because you, you did well, you know those first years in America, you had, you know, you had good results. You'd, um, yeah, look, um, probably people started messing around with my swing about the time I came out of my apprenticeship. Okay, um, I went and spent some time with. Uh, the, the great Alec Mercer at Royal Sydney. He was the pro there at that time. Yeah. And Alec nurtured my game, changed things, you know. But as I went forward, when I went to Europe, you see, I didn't have anybody to turn to. Um, When I went to America, that was a different story because um, there was always 
a grouping of great coaches at that time that you could you know, go to and, and, and seek help. So when I went to America, um, it was an interesting time because the international factor in America in those days, Andrew, was minuscule. It was only a few South Africans, Gary Player, Harold Henning. Um, um, I, I can't even remember an Englishman other than Tony Jacklin came al- along here maybe in the early 70s. Um, Australian, you had Bruce Crampton, Bruce Devlin and myself, and then along came a couple of other guys, Norman, of course, and Bob Shearer and Bob Shaw and a couple of the other guys. But really... Bruce Crampton, Bruce Devil, and myself, the two Bruces before me, they're the ones that really pioneered golf for the Australian contingent, having gone there, lived there, stayed there and played golf there. They didn't come back to Australia. Certainly Bruce Crampton didn't come back at all. Okay. So um, how, how, different, how different was the American experience to the Australian experience and the European experience, weather aside? Well... I think, to put it very, very clearly, the professional golfer in America when you play in a tournament is absolutely idolised. You know, it's everything is laid on for you. You know, sir, you know, transportation to the club, you know, families want to take you in and, you know, you know, let, let you stay in their house. They want to give you their daughter. You know, there's, there's a whole whole raft of, whole raft of benefits there. You know? take, take my daughter. Nobody else will. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, they, they just they, they just love the pros. So yeah. it was a totally different experience and one I, I nurtured and, and, and loved. Yeah. And, um, and, and, yes, I went forward with that, you know, um, great – American experience, had a lot of success along the way, uh, but also lots of downs. And I think I didn't have a lot of people around me because I was, you know, there on my own. And I remember when I beat Palmer, the next thing that happened, PGF are over here. They've been great to me, but all of a sudden Spalding, which was a great brand at the time, came along and said, Bob, we want to give you, you got to play in America. We want to give you a contract, three-year contract. It was $7,000 the first year, $9,000 the second, $11,000 the third. A lot of money to a young kid in yeah. those days. So I changed brands, so I became a Spalding guy. And they were great. They were at every tournament. You need anything. Yeah, it, it was a great experience. And did, so, you, did you change your gear then very much? Like I'm, I'm assuming now the – pro, I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, there's always the truck there fixing clubs and changing things. And did you, were you a tinkerer with what you had or was it just what no, you had I, was what you had? I, I, was, all, I was always um, a, a bit of a tinkerer, yeah. And um, you, you learn from the other greats on tour because they were always tinkerers as well. So you're learning yeah. about club design, you're learning about balancing but not like it is today, you know. I mean, it's, you got these big, huge vans there, yeah. that fitting centres, and you want to change your shaft, boom, you know, you're done. Come over here, let's trial it on the range. You don't like it, we'll put another one in. Totally different. But you had this spooling team around you that they had a number of players on the tour, 
and you were a Spalding guy, what do you need, Bob? So, yeah. But they didn't so, have the fitting trucks and all that kind okay, of stuff. Okay, so what are they standing the there with? The fitting that was made or chained had to come from the factory. Oh, okay. Yeah. I sort of had this picture in my head of some guy standing there with a pair of cargo shorts and a pocket full of lead tape and sandpaper and something else. And I'll <laughs> yeah. fix that wood for you. Yeah, I'll yeah, fix yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's what we did. Lead tape was big in those days, baby. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. Take it off, put it on, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then, okay. of course, so, yeah, go. I, I was going to say, America was good for you, but um, it, it, like you just missed out. You, it, it seems looking at your, your numbers, you. You constantly just missed, like lots of seconds, lots of seconds by a shot. Yeah, well, that- look, uh, that, that, it's an in- interesting one. I was beaten a shot, I think, seven times and got beaten a playoff for another one. Um, but that shot either placed me second outright or it might have might meant I came fifth. As an example, uh, I took a sabbatical from the tour and, and went into the Bahamas and kind of went fishing and did my thing and blah, 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 blah. That's a whole other story. And I came back and uh, started to play the tour again and there was a tournament called the World Open at Pinehurst, number two, one of the great courses of the world. And uh, I was in contention going into the last round and I played with Bruce Crampton the last round and shot 68. And I sat in the clubhouse with a one-shot lead, and this one of the biggest tournaments on the circuit at the time. I had a one-shot lead with only a few holes to go, and I thought, boy, I got this. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, uh, it's a big payday. I'll be able to go fishing for two months after this if I get yeah. the cash. And four guys came over the top of me and beat me a shot, right? Yeah, wow. Uh, you know, one of them was Johnny Miller. I remember another one was Frank Beard, great players at the time. So that one shot could have been a fifth place, could have been a first place, okay. or I might have finished second. You know, I remember uh, a great story. When I when I ran into trouble uh, on the tour um, and was playing poorly, I remember one time I didn't have any money, I'd run out of money, and I said to a, a, I was living in New Orleans at the time, and I said, look, I've got to go and get some help with my game. And I went and saw a guy called Claude Harmon. Now, you'd remember that name. Butch. Butch Harmon. Yeah. And I can remember going to Wingfoot Country Club and seeking help from Claude Harmon. He agreed to have me come up and look at me for a few days, and, and here's Butch Harmon and, and, the, and, the, and the other boys running around the pro shop in those days, and I remember the world of the Harmon yeah. family. You know? yeah. Of course, they've gone on to be great players, both of the kids. So um, Claude agreed to see me, and he gave me a couple of tips on the swing, and then I went to the Western Open in Chicago, which was played at the great Olympia Fields Country Club, where they played U.S. Opens and, and various major championships. And um, I finished a shot back. A guy called Jack Nicholas won it. I'm sure you've heard of him. That guy. Yeah, that guy. Everyone's and, favourite. And a guy called Miller Barber, Mr. X was his nickname because he was, he was one of those guys. Why did they call him Mr. X? Because no one ever saw him at night. They never knew what he did. He was very mysterious. <laughs> right. You know? right, right. 
So anyway, Miller Barber and I tied one shot back. Yeah. And look, I think Dickens probably won thirty thousand. We won eighteen thousand dollars each. And again, I went from having no money to you fully know, cashed up. Back, 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 cashed up. And what did I do? I used I'd go fishing. I go right. back home. Go home. Well, fishing miss. became your, fishing became your business. So you can now actually find Bob at Bob Stanton Fishing. Well, he runs a terrific tour business. Um out of uh, northern Queensland. Just before we um, go on, the, the you said uh, Claude Harmon gave you a couple of swing tips. Do you remember what they were? Yeah, I remember very well. He, he thought that I was moving off the ball, swaying a bit, and he started to try and keep me a bit more centred over the ball. And um, I remember uh, very well. So... I started to hit it solid again and it didn't take long for my confidence to get back because I went straight to the Western. And uh, yeah. I, remember, I remember the Western Open was one of the kind of almost majors at the time. Uh, it was very famous for, for one incident there. Uh, I'm not sure it was that year, but one of the years we played there, there was a lightning strike and lightning hit the lake. It ran along the lake and up the bank got Lee Trevino uh, and um, a couple of other players, just trying to think who they were. Uh, Bobby Nichols, I think, was one, and laid them out flat, right? I remember that incident. It was was like incredible. And, you know, it's not something in Australia that we deal with lightning, you know. But over there when you're in those humid places like Chicago and, and other the Houston and those, their electrical storms are scary. Yeah, okay. Certainly something. Well, they, I mean, they, the Americans are pretty quick at getting them off the course, aren't they? Well, that, well, that, you know, that's what you see now, that. isn't it? You see the siren. They don't even yeah. give it a chance. Yeah. yeah. No. So, look, you played the Masters, you played the US Open, you played the PGA, um, you know, with some success. I think your best was a tournament 22... At the Open, was it? Look, um, at the US Open. I've, yes, the US Open. I've had I can some tell luck you. in, but again, no. The PGA, you had twenty-two. In the PGA, yeah. Where, where was that? What course? No, no the US in? Open, you had that as well. Sorry, sorry, yeah. I stand corrected. Yeah, the US Open and the PGA, your best result was uh, tournament twenty-two. Yeah. So look. Um, Again, ambivalence. You know, those just yeah. those tournaments um, were were something. Oh, just another tournament. I'd rather go do something else, go fishing or whatever. But I, I really didn't have that strong mentality that you see in all the great players today. The one of they make it a priority, and it was never a priority. Just another event. And um, look. Uh, there's so much I could have done in my career, Andrew, and I think so much was expected of me. And yeah. I remember the great Peter Thompson was very, very disappointed that I didn't go <laughs> forward with a lot more success and, and has been very vocal about that. Okay. And, yeah. So, so you, said, you said about Gary Player that he, he won the Australian Open at Kuyonga and then he went straight back to the range. Did you and did you not? Did you and you said you saw it. Did you not see that, or did you see it but not really see it? If you know what I mean. Yeah. Look, I, I see it, but I didn't take it on board. And yeah. Uh, 
look, I'll digress going back to when I first went to America, I, I, I played in, the first tournament I played in was in Florida, Pensacola Open, and um, I missed the cut. And I went into the tournament thinking I was going to win. So that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a shock and awe situation for me. You know, yeah. going there to win and I missed the cut. So the next tournament was New Orleans. So um, Pensacola, New Orleans, not a long way, you know, a few hours drive. So I went to New Orleans and got there early. And, of course, in those days, um, you had to pre-qualify. So the structure of the tour, I don't know whether you've been enlightened to that, the structure of the tour in those days was the top 60 money winners were exempt and everybody else had to qualify. Wow. So on a Monday, you might have had 150 players vying for 30 or 40 spots. So if you qualified to play in the tournament and you made the cut, then you got to play in the next tournament without qualifying. So okay. provided you kept making the cut, you didn't have to go. Pre- as soon as you missed the cut, you had to go back to pre-Q on the Monday. So... I qualified to play in the tournament uh, on the Monday at Lakewood Country Club. And during that time I was in New Orleans, I met some wonderful, wonderful people and I decided that New Orleans was going to be home base for myself and my wife at the time, Barbara. So we were going to home base there in New Orleans and that was going to be the hub of which we can go out and play the US PGA Tour. And... New Orleans became that culture for me that I experienced the fishing side of my life where someone introduced me to the Gulf of Mexico and the wonderful fishing it had to offer. And that's where, that's the connection. So New Orleans was always the connection and and I spent three and a half years there in New Orleans and then moved a little bit east over into Mississippi um, where I lived the bulk of my time, really, in America. So New Orleans was the, the kind of a, a, I guess, catalyst for a lot of things that happened in my life. So that was sort of the finding of the new Bob and the losing of the golfer Bob. Yeah, that was that was the, the that was the, the the mentality that I kind of, I guess, I went forward with, and I always remember the great Sam Snead said. The only reason I play golf is so I can go hunting and fishing. Yeah, right. Well, that was a little bit of bomb. I kind of yeah. took it on board literally. You know, I'd go out, make a bunch of money and come back and go fishing for two or three months and not play much golf at all. And all of a sudden, okay. oh, I've got to play in those tournaments. I'd better do some practice. And of course, <laughs> I wasn't prepared. So yeah. my, my career was always this wavy thing rather than, more or less a straight line. So, so you are w- w- certainly one of the early um, early transitioners to a work life balance. Like you actually were doing what you really wanted to do, mm. but it, it theoretically could have been so much better on the golf side had you done the work that others were doing. Well, yeah, no question about it. I've, I've said it many times that if if I'd have applied myself to my golf the way I've applied myself to business, yeah. I would have probably, I, I, I say it all the time, I'd probably still be in America. 
I'd have right. gone from the regular tour to the seniors tour. I'd probably still be living in America. I wouldn't have met my wonderful wife. Wouldn't have had the wonderful life that we have now. That's yeah. life, you know, it just changes. So do you, I get the feeling you're very happy with your life now. You look very well. You look very fit, you know. You're a great storyteller. Do yeah. you regret not doing the extra work or are you actually quite happy with I how it's totally, all? totally regret. Oh, do you? Yeah, I do. I do because I, I look back and, and fully understand how talented I was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our great friend Bruce Green has, has said many times, he's always been a great fan, he hasn't seen anyone that struck a golf ball like I have. Now, that's a pretty big statement. He's seen a lot of great players over time. So yeah. that reinforcing of my talent was understood by everyone else but really never really understood by me. I, became, mm. there's a, I think there's a synergy between having too much talent and laziness <laughs> and, and, and the other one where a little bit of talent and hard work. Gary yeah. Player's a perfect example of that. David Graham, one of our great professionals, was one of those who had very little talent but worked hard and was conscientious and made himself into a into a, a, great, a, a great player and a major champion. Yeah, but isn't that the way with having with being really quite brilliant at something that you don't because you're actually brilliant at it, especially as a junior um, and in your formative years, you don't actually have to work as hard as everyone else because you're actually just really, really good. And no, and, no. and it's hard to get around that. No, if you no. also – I mean, you had PGF earlier on and then, you know, Spalding, as you say, and they're showering you in cash and you're going, hey, Bob, go Bob. Look, exactly. And, and look, I was always able to – look, when I was – when I'd run out of money, I'd just I'd, – I'd focus – I'd go and do some work. I'd get some help with my game. You know, I went to yeah. some of the great coaches like Bob Toskey, great player, coach at the time, John Travolta, who I used to go out early in the year. He was he was in Palm Springs. He had a club called um, Tamarisk. And Tamarisk was one of those places, Andrew, where the celebrities go. I mean, when I used to go out there and work with John Travolta, Sinatra would play. Right. James Garner would play. Lucy. Did you Ward. play with them? I'd play with Sinatra. You had a round of golf with Sinatra. How was that? Oh, well, fantastic. Sinatra had a home right on the back of the 18th tee. He was he was very very much profiled there at the club. So it was yeah. that was a great also a great part of life when you meet all these wonderful people like celebrities. Yeah. Presidents of the United States have walked through the locker rooms. Um Gerald Ford was a keen golfer. He came through the locker room, you know, shake hands with him. So you meet all these wonderful people along the way, <laughs> as well as just a, a little story I'll share with you. Um, one of the tournaments we used to play was the Florida Citrus Invitational at a course called Rio Pinar, and a, a course where I finished one stroke back um, in, the, in the tournament. A guy called Bob Lunn won the tournament. And Palmer and I tied one shot back. So that was the late 60s. And there was a guy around who was making putties in a garage called Carsten Solheim. Mm. Now, he was making putters in those kind of early 60s. But in the late 60s, he came up with a putter. And he had to give it a name. And 
uh, he came up with answer, A-N-S-W-E-R. So, so was born the okay. King answer, which was the original that really started him on the way to the Ping story. And interesting, they couldn't fit the whole word on the Ping putter, so they shortened it to A-N-S-E-R. So if you look at any of those original putters, they left the W out so they could put answer on there. Wow. So great story, great story. And I can remember him having a handful of putters on the putting green at Rio Pinar and begging people to try this putter that went ping. Every time right. you hit it, of course, it had to slot in the face, yeah. it went ping. And, uh, of course, one of the great stories today, in fact, I was only looking at the amount of pros that play ping clubs on the tour. It's pretty impressive tool. Yeah. Pretty impressive tool. Um. You sort of disappeared for a we, – we, we'll have to wrap it up soon. I can't take all of your day, but um, you disappeared for a little while then came back and you had the Australian Open and and the reason I want to ask you about this is because I've heard a version of the story from the fly yeah. um, with where Tom Watson rolled you again by by a shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I, I just wonder if, you know, because you, you did go quiet for a while, you've come back, you've played the Aussie Open, this is early 80s, and that, and this is pretty close to the end for you, isn't it? Well, let, let's digress a bit and say that I stopped playing the US Tour in about 1978. Yeah. And I was representing a resort development called Diamond Head Corporation on tour and the CEO of that company asked would I take over the golf operations of where I lived in Mississippi and it was called Diamond Head. Mm-hmm. So I became the director of golf of a 36-hole golf complex. So I went into the golf business, going back to my apprenticeship days, yeah. I went into the golf shop business and ran this business for this corporation. So in 1984, uh, my contractual obligation to them finished and uh, I went into a restaurant with some guys, which was a disaster because the sooner we opened the restaurant, we found out that the guy that we really trusted to run it was stealing money. That's a whole other long story. Yeah. So (laughs) I I decided in 1984 that uh, I was going to come back to Australia. So again... I came back to Australia, didn't have any money, and the only thing I knew how to do was play golf. Now, I hadn't played tournament golf in seven years, and I started to play in some uh, pro-ams and some minor tournaments to kind of get some edge. And uh, um, I remember I played at Warrnambool the week before the Australian Open, and I played pretty good golf, but my putting was horrendous. Yeah. And I went to Royal Melbourne for the Open and I, uh, I remember I thought, Bob, stop thinking about the stroke, think about routine. And I remember the great Kel Nagel uh, was asked about, what do you, Kel, what do you think about when you putt? He said, I think of my numbers. He said, so numbers, one, putter behind the ball, two, putter front of the ball, sorry, one putter in front of the ball, two putter behind the ball, boom, boom, go. 
So in other words, a routine, and when you, when you think about golf, it's been said many times, the amount of time you take over the ball should be the same every time. Every time yeah. you have a second look or take an extra couple of seconds, you get a bit tense. So I worked on that particular theory, the tempo, made a hold everything that week. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I remember a game like it was yesterday, shot 72-69, I lifted it out at the last to be seven under at Royal Melbourne. Yeah. And Watson needed to par the last hole to win by a shot. And he hit it up on the very top tier there at Royal Melbourne, which is, and the pin was down on the bottom shelf. And I remember Peter Thompson's commentary saying that, wow, I think he's left this short. I think he's got to leave it on the top tier. Well, all of a sudden the ball just trickled over the edge, rolled down to the hole and about a foot away and he made the putt. So he won by a shot. But the story, the story that oh, – sorry, go on. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is going back to ambivalence. If I'd have won that tournament, if I'd have won the Australian Open, then all of a sudden you're Australian Open champion. Now you've got to go and travel again. You've got to get invites to here and invites to there. You know, that, that my laziness and ambivalence came through again yeah. after that and said, wow, that's a good result. Got a few bucks in the can hmm. there. I played a little bit more tournament golf, but really I had some business ideas that I wanted to, to kind of put forward. And that's kind of like the next chapter, yeah. next journey for me in life from from a, an age where I should have been still playing golf because that was coming up 40 years ago, 19, yeah. 1984. Yeah, the, the, uh, fly, yeah. The, the fly tells the story that the, 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 you know, the, the, the crowd, the crowd hushed and the Watson hits his putt and the putt literally, it, st- it literally did stop on yeah. the top deck. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it then it moved sideways, so yeah. it stopped and then rolled a half roll to the I don't remember whether it was the left or the right. Yeah, and then it continued down the hill, but it was stopped. It it, it was literally yeah, yeah. stationary. So yeah, yeah. well, and Thompson, so fit, Thompson said, "Oh, he's left it short." Yeah, what? but uh, so then for you as a golfer, someone who again, you know, you've had these lo- these losses by a shot all through your career, you must have gone finally. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah, but you know, my thinking, you know, after it all was, look, that was great because it 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 launched my name back into the golfing community. Yeah, and the golfing public's psyche, and from that, I was able to launch myself into things that I thought were required and needed in golf in Australia. So. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So there's been a course design and... Yeah, look, yeah, we got into... Corporate golf as well. Yeah, well, it started with corporate golf because no one was doing it well. So I, I, you know, I developed a, a service to professionally run corporate golf days. That was the first company. Mm. Then I, I always had an idea going back to boats. I always loved boats, uh, a club on water. So uh, we, we formed a, a, a three-way partnership and bought a boat and redid that and developed a concept called the Island Club, which was a membership-based um, concept on Sydney Harbour. Harbour, which in the end had about 75 members. Yeah, we right. We course design. We built Cypress Lakes up in the Hunter Valley. You would have played there. And another great course in, in Western Australia called Caramar. Yeah. And I did that in conjunction with a guy called Steve Smyers, who was an American designer and uh, had done a lot of work with Faldo and other uh, name players over there. Um, really great guy. So we had a lot of fun with that. And then I designed, I, I developed Australia's two major golf exhibitions, which was the PGA show, which was uh, a kind of takeoff of the US PGA show, where you know the industry has a meeting point where the exhibitors can display all their goods, and all the pros come in and buy their goods, and there's a golf tournament associated with that, and then. In later years, once we got that going, I started the Toyota International Golf Show, which is the public show, which we ran at Darling Harbour, Melbourne Aquatic Centre, Homebush in Sydney. So we took that around the country as a public show where the Andrew Dados can go in there and see everything in golf. Yeah. Hmm. It would be a nice thing to have that sort of back again, wouldn't it? Because there's just literally just so much. Well, hey, Bob. Yeah. Before you finish with a game or before anyone finishes with a game, what should they experience above all else? Like it could be literally anything, but what should everyone in your mind try and get their heart around? You talk, in golf? Yeah. You're talking about me as a person or just a game of golf? No, no. What, what do you think is the one thing we should experience in golf before we give the game away, before it, we age past it or we move to the desert or – you know, whatever it is. Uh, well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty open-ended one, that one. But, you know, what what is the ultimate in golf? You know what the ultimate in golf is? A hole-in-one. Yeah. Um, how, ma- how many have you had? Oh, I've had a dozen. 
Yeah, I've had a dozen. You know, I've had I've had a lot. I've had a lot in tournaments, by the way. But in those days, they weren't giving anything away other than the honour on the next tee. There was no cars and money <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So right, it was just you know uh, not there. So look, I think I think probably play to the best of your ability. And mm. there's so many, there's so much componentry around golf and clubs. By the way are the starting point. Clubs and golf balls and the type of golf ball you use is important. The type of clubs you use are important. So many people go and buy clubs off the rack these days, Andrew. There's, I always say, if you've got, well, you know, <laughs> Julius Shards, um, you, if you if you go and get fitted for a set of clubs, yeah. there's so much technology around it these days it will allow you to play, regardless of your swing, to the best mm. of your ability. And then if you do some work around your clubs on your swing and remember that little story I told you early on, right? pair of feet to stand on the ground, pair of hands <laughs> to swing the club, and no brains. Yeah. Because in teaching today, so much of golf today is, is is the focus on positions. You need to be this when you get halfway back and this is where you need to be at the top. And all of that type of, you know, confusion. Mm. And me, even at my level now, and I'm still learning and still watching some of the great swings of, you know, the, the years. And when I want to look at a golf swing, I want to go and look at someone like Bobby Jones. I want to yeah. look at someone like Sam Sneed, Hogan. And and interestingly, in the last few days, I've gone back and had a look at Norman Von Nieder, Eric Kremen, Peter Thompson, some of our greats. And, you know, the one thing, if I can give advice to golfers out there, you hit the golf club or you hit the golf ball with the club head. Swing <laughs> the club head. Swing the club head. And okay. if you allow it to happen, that's the best advice I can give people. You know, hit the okay. ball and relax. Are you a um, are you a believer in using the hands? I mean, not just to hold the club, but to you know, are you a handsy or a handsy player? Well, I th- I think um, yes. I th- I think that the hands play an important, very important part of the golf swing in terms of hinging. I think there's, there's a couple of very important things. Weight shift, the, crop, the proper turn, the proper hip turn, and the swing of the club, allowing the hands to hinge and unhinge. And, and that's what you see in the great players. You, you watch them there, especially the, the players of yesteryear. Yeah. They're less contrived. You know, they, they get up there and they swing, they, they turn and they unturn and off they go, you know. I think yeah. I think there's too much built in these days to to coaching, because let's face it, it's a big business. Coaching is yeah. a big business. There's a, there's a lot of money being made off coaching. This that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I do look at the old, the really old footage, and you see, you know, Nicholas and Palmer standing there, and Palmer will be having a smoke, and you know, flick his durry away and oh. stand up and smack a ball, and you go, God, it just it actually looked well, like I, fun. I know, I know, it just it looked can- like fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go go and watch some video of Hogan practicing. Yeah. He's got a smoke in his mouth while he's practicing. Yeah. Right. I was so, looking at. I was looking at. Uh, endorsing smoking, of course. What's that? 
I said not endorsing smoking. Those days are long gone. But oh, that's you know what I mean. Like it was a very, it was a relaxed. Well, you know, it, it was, and and when you look at the the greats, Palmer is an example. Great smoker. A lot of people mm. don't realise that Nicholas smoked. Mm. He never smoked on the course, but he smoked off course. Right. I've been around him when he smoked. Okay. I mean, we one of one of the little highlights for me was were, you know, because um, when we. Uh, were playing the tour, all of us had various management groups. IMG were the, the trailblazer in the early days, but I was with a company called uh, Unity Managers, a guy called Ed Barner, and they were always looking at deals, you know, to put together. And I got involved in a, a match play event at Muirfield Village, which is Jack's course, and the idea was there were 16 young guns of the tour who were sent into match play against one another. And Nicholas and Weisskopf were seeded into the, the semifinals. So the 16 of us went through and played match play. And I won my way through and played Weisskopf. And a really good mate of mine, Jerry Hurd, won his way through and he played Nicholas. So I remember waving to <laughs> Jerry. He was going down the 10th when I was going up the 9th and I kind of looked at him and gave him a bit of a how you going kind of a thing and he, he put, the, put the finger, <laughs> I think, uh, the finger across the neck. like seven and six and yeah. uh, Weisskopf beat me on the 18th, two and one. He, he held a big, long, curvy putt on there. Yeah. The 18th. But, look, um, it's been a great career. I've had – we could talk for hours. I've got yeah. so so much uh, to talk about, but uh, it's been uh, a wonderful and I'm sure you've got time constraints. So where are we? Yeah, no, I think we're – I just – was there one – just finally, was there – actually two things, two final things. One is the putting. One is the putting and the, st- and the stillness. So um, – Bruce Green says the same thing. The Fly says the same thing. Uh, Dick Mercer says the same thing. If you're still, that's part of the trick with putting. Would you agree with that? Look, um, let's say this. And throughout my corporate golf career, I would give golf clinics. And um, the clinics I gave were always on the short game. So I always tell the story. I'll just paint the scene for you here. There's a day, a day for 100 people. I've got 75 of them on the short game clinic over here, but there's 25 guys over on the range. And I'd say to the 75, look at those guys over there. You know what they're doing? They're hitting it perfect because when you're on the range, they always go straight. Yeah, right. You don't, you don't have any worries about the ball going sideways, right? But let me tell you about one of those guys. I'll tell you a little story. I said what he does is he goes to the first tee, he hits a bit of a scratchy one down the fairway because all of a sudden he's got to aim at a fairway. Then he gets up to an iron and he's got to hit it at the green and he hits it behind the bunker on the right and the pin's not far over the bunker. Now he's got this lob shot over the bunker, par four. What does he do? Chunks it into the bunker, goes into the bunker, blades it over the green into the lake, got to take a drop, 
trotted on it three parts and has eight. And he was beside the green at two. What's the point? It's all about the short game. Yeah. Right? It's all about the short game. And the great Gary player, a couple of little things here. He said if he had his career over again, he would work twice as hard on his short game and he's probably the best I've ever seen. Right. And around the greens, I'll give you a couple of tips. We'll get back to putting in a minute. Gary's philosophy about chipping around the green, and everybody should remember this, keep it on the ground. His philosophy was less air time, more ground time. If you've got the green to work with, you want to do just get it to a point just 10 feet in front of it and let it roll, right? Okay. Less air yeah. time, more ground time. Putting. When I, when I gave putting clinics, I used to tell them a number of things. First of all, find a putter that you like. And there's so many different putters out there in the marketplace to go and look for. Second thing is, ensure that you understand where the sweet spot is of that putter. Now, you might say, well, what's that? I've never heard of that, right? But Mm -hmm. the sweet spot is the balancing point where when the ball hits the putter face, Andrew, there's no torque in the putter face. You hit it on the toe, it opens. You hit it on the heel, it closes. Generally, on the putters today, you have a line, a dot, or some mark where you find the sweet spot. So you have to find a sweet spot. Why? Because Dave Peltz, who made a study of putting, said seven, uh, 98% of putts that aren't hit in the sweet spot won't go in. Wow. That's how important it is to hit the sweet spot. Now, okay. we've got a good putter. We've identified the sweet spot. We have to aim and line the ball up in the sweet spot and try and hit the ball in the sweet spot with an accelerated stroke, 0.3. And I tell people one-third back, two-thirds through. Yeah. Most people go three-thirds, stop, decelerate. (laughs) And then they have one other thing they do, which is a huge look, right? Yeah. ball just goes all over the place. So yeah. the fourth point, keep your eyes where the ball was sitting on the grass. Listen to the ball go in the hole. Remember what Gary Player does. Hit the ball, listen to the ball go in the hole. Or, as the great Tiger Woods does, and a lot of the good putters, they train their head to swivel along the line. There's no lifting their head up yeah, right? yeah. and come up out of your plane. So hit the ball let it roll, and then look under. Very, very good thing. So four things for putting. Find a putter you like, identify the sweet spot, one-third, two-thirds putting stroke, and listen to the ball go in the hole. Jeez, that's it. It's how simple. It's so easy. <laughs> remember, remember what I told you, right? Yeah. Hands, hands to swing the club, feet to stand on the ground, and no brains. No brain. No brains. Don't think Good too advice. much, my friend. Bob, it is just a, such a pleasure to talk to you. We'll find you now at um, bobstantonfishing.com.au. Yeah. Uh, and uh, which and, and are you are you also taking people fishing or are you just facilitating? I just I just facilitate it. So okay. going going back to the business side of life, um, apart from all the things we talked about, 
because I had such a great following, I started Bob Stanton's Fishing in the late 90s because a lot of my corporate clients were looking at things to do. And that company still exists today. And I, I will send next year 300 anglers away fishing somewhere. And they go from anywhere from the Kimberley all the way through the top end, the Gulf, and over here to Port Douglas. Um, so Bob Sands Fishing is still active. And my wife, Lucy, who used to be very uh, much a part of my business and ran a lot of the corporate golf facilitation, um, her company, African Adventures, customizes trips to Africa. Yeah, wow. Also was an agent for Panant, which I know you yeah. know a little bit about Panant. Yeah, Panant's pretty good. Is that good? In Arctic, it was pretty special, wasn't it? Antarctica was pretty special. A good little video. Just go to the Panant website. You'll find that there. Yeah. So, um, well, no, it's, look. It's fantastic. Oh, thanks. Um, all right, Bob, look, we'll leave it there. A real pleasure to chat. You've been very generous with your time uh, and your stories. And I feel like we've barely touched on anything. So, well, um, if you want to do it again sometime, I'm happy we can pick up. I'd love to. Somewhere mid range. I'd love to. There's a lot to right, talk just, about. All right, let's do something in the new year. Okay, my friend. You have a great Good on you, Bob. See you, man. Bye. So there he is, Bob Stanton, parts one and two, and I'm sure there'll be a part three and a part four because, as he says, there are so many stories to tell, so many experiences to share, and the world of golf is just different, as he was very keen in saying. It's a different world now to what we had in the past, and frankly, I love the past. I love the stories from these guys and um, the way they played and why they played and and how they played and what was different about it. So I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, We're going somewhere totally different next week. I can't tell you where it is. Uh, It's a surprise. Let's have it as a surprise. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed, Bob. Um, And uh, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 